The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from John 1, 43-51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Ellie. Well, as often there are, I was reading an article that um, was talking about social media. This one was really interesting, though, kind of a turn on um, not just the usual you know, what is social media doing or not doing or whatever. But it, it was talking about the new trends of social media. One of those is um, how in Instagram, the comments section has become actually overtaken the photos. I don't know if you read this article, but um, it was in the Atlantic. It was called How Comments Be- Have Become the Best Part of Instagram. And essentially, this article is laying out how the uh, comments section has become a, a, a breeding ground for all sorts of things. Uh, connections between people, relationships, uh, economic growth, uh, interest pools have formed from these, just the comments. They don't really, that the, the photos are just becoming a little bit more of the quick grab and then people really want to see who's posting and who's com- commenting. But here's one of the, uh, I'm not quite sure who this was that said this, but this is how it was actually written, a quote regarding it. When you read a comment, you can tell what someone's personality is. You can pick like, oh, do I want to interact with this person or not? You know, it's it's becoming this kind of place of, hey, I don't really care about the photo so much. I want to see who's commenting and then maybe I can interact with them. I find it really interesting. Because in a, in a culture, in a society where social media, we discuss a lot about following and who's following whom and how do we connect, that we have so much connection that you can tell a person's personality simply by their comment. Now, you can probably see a few things, but that's a pretty profound thing to say, that you have a whole person based on what, a comment and then maybe following them on Instagram or whatever it may be, your, your social media of choice. But I think that the theme of today with the connection between following people and the peace of loneliness consistently drives home. I think it's fascinating that we continue to be a people who love the comments. We think we are knowing and being known by 
publicizing and doing these things, and yet we find ourselves wondering who really knows me. It really, it's a continual movement, and that is a, a, a fascinating thing to me as somebody who deeply values relationships, and yet I struggle with them just like anybody else. I'm on the social media, I do all of these things, and yet I wonder, okay, how are we knowing and being known? Do we ever ask that question? The passage we just read is, is fascinating because it's actually talking about that. It's talking about following it, it, it's, it's, it's the portion in John's gospel, we've been looking at the encounters with Jesus, and it's talking about following Jesus and those who follow him, and who is that, and what does following mean? What does it mean for us, the connection being between following someone and being known or knowing them? And it is a vast difference in what the Bible is telling us about what that meant to follow Jesus and what we understand in our vernacular as following someone and actually knowing their personality. Here's why this is important. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Okay, we're in a church, and I don't know if all of you are, are followers of Jesus in this church or not. Many of you I know, and some of you I may not, and maybe you're coming into a church again, maybe it's the new year, and you're kind of thinking, you know, I kind of want to revisit that part of me. Maybe it's a, something you put, you shelved, and you said, I want, I want to check that out again. But the Bible is laying out for us a, a very different understanding of what following means, that vernacular. It's really important because what's happening in our culture and our understanding as Christians, not just out there, I'm talking about in, in the Christian society, is I've, I wonder if we're starting to see Christianity and Jesus in the same light of, okay, I know him, I know enough about him, but I don't, you know, I don't know how much I really need him in this place. He kind of fits in this portion, and maybe I follow him in these terms. You know, maybe I, I follow him by doing all the kind of Christianized things, but when Jesus says, follow me to Philip, and when he gets, he gets Nathaniel in there too in this passage, there is a deep embedded understanding of it is life-changing. It's shaping your whole world around it. And it can be a real contradiction in terms for us. This is a simple passage in some ways, and it calls us to look at some real simple things, but uproot what really is in us. And it calls us to look at three things. One is what following, knowing, and believing. Just those things. Following, knowing, and believing. You know, in the very first verse here that we read from this passage, it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, th that was actually a little unusual most Jews at that time, when they said they followed somebody, they would say they would follow Moses for the most part because they would follow the Torah. So they were all already followers in a sense. But, and most rabbis didn't come along and say, follow me. They didn't need to. So there's something actually a little unusual about this. And, and, and Philip and Nathaniel, Philip and Nathaniel both, are interesting characters because they don't show up very much. They're not necessarily the most significant. It's not like Jesus said, follow me, and it was just this, you know, vastly important person in the, in the culture at that time. It was just these two men, in particular Philip, and then through Philip, Nathaniel comes, that were really largely unknown. 
Philip being a disciple. In fact, you can see that even in the passage, the reason that they say in verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, is that most of the time when these, these two characters are mentioned, they're in connection with maybe more well-known disciples because they weren't as significant in terms of that. But it's important for us to see this. This passage is in there. John includes this in his narrative account of Jesus calling these disciples because we're supposed to see something. And the powerful thing is we're supposed to see is that they follow him, that they're called. And you can see even in there what they're looking for. Philip says once he's spent some time with Jesus, apparently, in verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one. We found him. They've been looking. There's an anticipation. There's a longing to find the one that they're going to follow. They're wanting to follow someone. And, and, but Jesus doesn't fall under the same category as a normal rabbi. See, in fact, technically, he wasn't a rabbi at all. But because he taught so many in the way he taught, he was considered a rabbi. And so when he, but his, in fact, if you read about it, his following, what he's doing here and what's so significant about it and why it's different than other following is that Jesus is asking for specific allegiance. Different than other following, his follow me is an emphasis on you need to begin to shape your life around me. Not just a teaching, not just a comment here or there. It means parts of your life, and in some cases, you see this in the Bible, some people had to leave things to follow him. Now, it's not always the case in here, but it's shown that to follow him meant this. It involved personal allegiance to him expressed in these things, meant the putting the claims of Jesus first, exclusively. It meant... Instead of the other things, and you see Jesus talking to people that follow him, wait, I need to go take care of this. I need to do this. He says, no, 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 no. That will take care of itself. First come follow me. It's not that these men and women didn't go back to their jobs, didn't go back to their families, that they just dropped things and never did them. It's that they first had to go follow Jesus to make sense of them in order to go back to their work, in order to go back to their families in order to go back into their normal routine. See, following meant you started to look through the lens through which Jesus is teaching you how life works. It's different than just taking, how oh, that comment fits here. This really is a good interest for me. It had to be more than that. If Philip's claim is to say, it's bigger than that, but here's what's funny. Philip, you know, tells Nathaniel, who is looking for the same one, hey, and we found the one, and it's met immediately with skepticism. Immediately. Not on the basis of, man, son of God, all these incredible titles. Listen to this. The one Moses wrote about in the law, and the one of prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And immediately, Nathaniel, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, here's essentially what he's saying. It'd be like this. It'd be like, Wait a minute, that person's a three? Dude, I can't be friends with a three on the Enneagram. There's no way that person could be someone I could be close to. Or it'd be like, that person grew up in Memphis? I live in Nashville. What? 
that person grew up in Nashville? I, I'm from Memphis. Do you see what I'm saying? He's essentially, even hearing the greatest titles that Nathaniel's been waiting for all his life, what comes in? It's the exclusive category of he must fit in this. Skepticism is really an interesting thing because what it does is it begins to give us power to say we only have the corner on truth. And and, and that is the big discussion with a lot of Christianity and truth today is, you know, who has the market on truth? A lot of people say, well, this is just a power grab. You know, Christianity is just one way for uh, you know, all these people who are downtrodden to actually have some sort of power and authority in, in that time period. But if we're being consistent, if we're really looking at what skepticism is and what it really means, it means that everyone, if we're being honest, everyone is going for a power grab. Everyone, every truth claim is an absolute, no matter where you're coming from. Nathaniel is wanting to fit Jesus in his category so that he can have a Christ fit just the way he wants it, neatly and nicely. He wants the comments that he wants. He wants to follow the one that he wants. He wants them to fit perfectly with, with his posts, his framework of what his life needs to look like. And yet, it, that's where he lives, in this place. What what does Jesus need to be for you to follow him? Like, what would you say, okay, yes, you may consider yourself even a Christian in this room, and there are places and times where, have you ever looked up and said, I just don't think I can follow him here? If we're being honest, where we say, here's, here's 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 the part of Jesus that you can't just pick and choose. This is who he is. And you say, I just don't know if I can do that. What is it about him that keeps you from following him? What is the part that he meddles with, or maybe he says, that goes against your politics, that goes against your sexuality, that goes against your marriage, that goes against your friendships, that you feel rubs against, the, that just doesn't fit right. This is where Nathaniel is. He's saying, what, can good, what good can come? I mean, he hears the greatest news he's been waiting for, just as Philip, and this, Nazareth. And Nazareth wasn't that bad. It was just insignificant. There was nothing there. What is it about Jesus that doesn't fit in your model and you're following him? I have to ask this question constantly. It is so easy for me as well to be in a position as a pastor to follow Christ and to say, yeah, I'm willing to stand up and teach you all these things and yet at the same time, where am I looking at my relationship with Jesus and saying, man, I don't know if that fits. It's a constant submitting. It's a constant. And here's the beautiful thing that Philip can say, come and see. Don't you wish we could do that? Come and see. (laughs) Come and see. And so they go to Jesus. I love that Philip shares this and he knows. And Philip says, knowing him. And the theme 
here that's really huge is that following is connected to the knowing. Philip learns something about who Jesus is when he says, we have found him. Here he is. I remember when I was working across the way at Vanderbilt and meeting with particular people at the time and, and, and this one uh, guy I was meeting with was from actually the British Virgin Islands. Great guy. And um, he had actually grown up learning a lot about Christianity. Uh, he had grown up in this home. And I remember at one point he, we were meeting one-on-one and uh, I said, hey, let's, let's read through Mark again, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's shorter. Let's read through that together. Let's talk about it. And I remember him reading it with me, and the thing that overwhelmed me that he said, he said, this is nothing like what people have told me Jesus is about. He began to look into the passages. He began to look into what are these little real claims that Jesus is making? What, is this, what does this really have to do with the reality of what people are saying Jesus is like? This is what Philip means when he says, Jesus, the Moses, is, this is the new Moses. Not only does Jesus fulfill the law, but he's saying, this is the real law. This is how you live in it. You don't just throw it out, but it's how you live in it. It actually invigorates you. This is Jesus and the prophets. This is the one that for centuries they've asked for rescue. That for ages the people of God have been in exile they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to come along and free them and be the rescuer for them and here he is he's in the text and it says often that that Philip was a much more practical man but what is fascinating here is not just following connecting to knowing him but what I find that's beautiful here is what Nathanael says. It says in verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael goes, how do you know me? See, we often connect discipleship of us knowing Jesus. That that's the most important part. Do you know him? But this is actually saying discipleship, meaning disciple, what the word disciple means is learner, someone who follows, someone who takes that on, is that Jesus knows us. This is where it gets hard. Can I just tell you, this is one of the most, the parts that just makes me so unnerved by Jesus. Because this is one of those moments you could say, oh, well, he says, how do you know me? Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And, and there's something about that. Is this some like parlor trick, you know, to get past his skepticism? Okay, Jesus, that's pretty cool. I will believe in you. That's basically almost what it seems like happens. But there's something more profound here. He sees him. He knows Nathaniel. Look, Nathaniel knows all this great stuff about Jesus. There's something there, though, that causes him. And we don't know actually what he saw under the fig tree. Isn't that interesting? What happened under the fig tree? And there's all sorts of speculation about what that was. But whatever it was, Jesus saw him. It means he knows him. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, isn't saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's that Jesus knows us. And here's what's unnerving about it. There's a book 
It was written called The Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. And it said this. Listen to what it, mean, it says about being known. It is only when we are known that we are positioned to become conduits of love. And it is love that transforms our minds, makes forgiveness possible, and weaves a community of disparate people into the tapestry of God's family. To be known is to be pursued, examined, shaken. To be known is to be loved, to have hopes and even demands placed on you. It is risk. Not only the furniture in your home being rearranged, but your floor plans being rewritten, your walls being demolished and reconstructed. To be known means that, you're allowed to, that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be healed. Following Jesus is unnerving. It means being pursued, examined, it means that it shakes us. The, the good news of the gospel is this. It, it means that you are known in ways that should make you uncomfortable. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus isn't something where you have all the knowledge and you feel great about it. Philip was in that place, and that's where Jesus met him. But Nathaniel, like maybe many of us in this room, maybe have all the knowledge. Maybe we're great with all that stuff. And maybe you haven't understood yet that the discipleship, following Jesus, what it really means to be a follower of Christ is that not that you know him, but that he knows you. That he gets into the places of your life that you wouldn't want anyone to know. The secrets that you keep the ways that you think about other people, the ways that you think about yourself, the ways that you do your business. He knows you there, and it should shake us. What transforms a person? What gets you to really know them? Is it by knowing a few comments of them? Or is it by really interacting, really integrating, really coming up against who that person is, are all your friendships, all your relationships, maybe even your marriages, are, do you find them to be without any sort of grit in them? Any sort of rub? Do people kind of just easily walk in and out of your life without really interacting the hardest parts of you? See, Jesus is saying here in this moment, that he is not fit to be someone who you just know a lot about. He wants to know you, and he does. That's the scary thing. He doesn't even ask. He, the, the, the amazing thing about this, Nathaniel has said all these things about Jesus. <laughs> who could come from Nazareth? Jesus doesn't come and say, let me show you who came from Nazareth. He doesn't tout himself. He doesn't shame Nathaniel. He says, I've seen you. I know you, and it blows him away. There's something about that that touches Nathaniel's heart in a way that no knowledge can. What are the places of shame that you think could never be healed by someone else engaging or even being close to inside those, those walls or that door? 
And Jesus enters into that. There are so many accounts in John's gospel where he does this. He does this with people that are not even Jewish skeptics. He does this with people who are outcasts. The woman of Samaria, just a couple chapters later. With Nicodemus, with others in John. He comes into their life and he somewhat doesn't come in peacefully. He takes somewhat of a wrecking ball. He says, I'm going to show you how you're known. I'm going to show you what it really means to trust, to be in relationship with me. He demands in some ways. And he does. How do we respond to that? How do we respond? Dan Allender, who's an incredible author, he talks in a book called Wounded Heart. What does it mean to have a wounded heart that's healed and actually trust again? He talks about it in this way. Most assume that trust is quiet, serene, selfless, dependence on God, which is somewhat false trust. Genuine trust involves another to matter and to have an impact in our lives. For that reason, many who hate and do battle with God trust Him more deeply than those who may be complacent in their faith. And it permits an abstract, emotionless stance before him. Those who trust God most are those whose faith permits them to risk wrestling with him over the deepest questions of life. Good hearts are captured in, divine, in a divine wrestling match. If you're here this morning, and I don't know where you are in terms of your relationship with the Lord. Maybe many of you are not even experiencing skepticism. Maybe you are and you're just more of a numbness. Real relationship, both with one another and with the Lord Jesus, comes by that wrestling match. I've been in places in my life where I have hit those so deeply, sometimes for years, years on end. And what has sustained me in that is not that I felt like, and I, if I've, if I can even say I've come through some of it, some of it I haven't. When I hit things, whether it's in our family, or in our lives, or physically, or whatever it may be that hits me, it's not that I know him so much or that I have to go back to a verse, and sometimes that reminds me of how great God is. The point of going back to the Bible and to be seen by God and what that means is so that you know you're known. Why, do, why essentially do we do the same thing every week? Why do we need to come back to church? Why do we need to have this moment? Because we all need, me included, to hear the heralded good news again. That you're known. That you can go back to this Bible. And for many of us that may not even be looking in it, we need to be reading the Bible not because you need more knowledge but because it's telling you how known you are. You are seen. You are understood. That is the point. It's unnerving and it's, un it's Nathaniel going, how does he know me and understand me? Christianity is more than just another comment blip. Following Jesus has to be more than saying, I do these things and I follow him. It has to be because Jesus knows me. 
I remember some of the hardest discussions I've had with people who may not even be Christians. And one of which said to me, <clears throat> we're in an argument about <clears throat> doubt and faith. And this person said to me, you think you have the corner on truth? And I don't know what I said then, probably not something really great. I, I look back now and wish I had probably said something else. But what I do look back and, and think in my heart and mind is no, no, no. Truth has me in a corner. I claim the exclusivity of Christianity not because I have a bunch of knowledge. But because Jesus knows me. And that's not some spiritual quip. That is the fact that he has come and he has shown it true. He has shown himself. He has proved himself. Look, we come to this table for this reason. We come to this table to be reminded that we are known. You, you know how this passage ends in this way. It ends by Jesus saying, you're going to see greater things. I mean, as if that was enough. Nathaniel was, he was like, you had me at, under the fig tree. But Nathaniel's taught something more. Here's what's interesting. Nathaniel was from Cana. If you read in your Bible, if you have your phone or your Bible out, if you look at the next chapter after this one, there's something called the wedding at Cana where Jesus performs his first miracle of turning water into wine. Nathaniel would see even more things. But here's what Jesus says. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? Look, come to this wedding, you'll see something cool. Here's what he says. You believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That sounds like such a weird phrase. And what he's referring to is something that Nathaniel would know from the Old Testament. One of the greatest fathers of Judaism, Jacob, when he wrestled with God, and God showed him what was looking like somewhat of a staircase where angels were ascending and descending. That there was a way up to heaven, that heaven and earth were connected somehow, and Jacob saw that. Jesus is saying, remember this? They're gonna ascend and descend on me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know what the real connection is? You know what the beauty is? Not all these miracles. It's the fact that you're standing with the connection between heaven and earth. I am that staircase. I am the one in which heaven comes down to you in flesh. When you come to this table, you're seeing greater things. You're actually tasting, smelling, and ingesting the reality that Jesus has not left us here to have nice mere comments and teachings of his that we can say, that's a good one that I can sock away. He has actually come because he knows you. And smelling these and just walking by them isn't enough. We have to take them in. We have to be reminded that he gets into the furthest parts of us to bring us to himself. Every part of you that you would not want Jesus to get into, he does because are loved because that's what faith is I'm going to close with this what C.S. Lewis says about faith listen to what he says faith is the art of holding on to things 
your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And that is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro. And its beliefs really dependent on whether on the weather and the state of its digestion. Unless we trust in this one, the one that doesn't move, the one in flesh where heaven and earth connects, we're only going to feel sometimes like we're connected. It's all in Him. Praise be to God for bringing Himself, coming Himself to bring us, to connect us to our Heavenly Father. Let's stand now.